you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hey, everybody. This is Susan Rosen, and I have Dr. Chris Zola here with me again today. I think I let everybody know that we're going to try and, and do this on a little more regular basis. And we have um, what I think is um, a very interesting and um, topic to talk about. I was trying to think of another another descriptive word, but I think we'll we'll just go on from there. Um, and that is to talk about menopause and particularly, um, obviously, women. And just to let everybody know, we are going to also not leaving the men out have another podcast where Chris and I are going to talk about men menopause, which is called andropause. Is that, did yes. I get that right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Which I thought would be very interesting because I'm not sure that many people realize that men go through their own version of menopause. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not necessarily any better and not necessarily any worse, but their own version. <clears throat> okay. So back to today's topic, we want to talk about, about menopause and um, the the part of it that we're all very familiar with. And then also um, Chris is going to talk about some of the carry on things that either come out of that or continue even after the official menopause period is over. So welcome, yes. Chris. Glad to have you back. Thank you so much for, for having me and I'm happy to be here. I really uh, enjoy our conversations immensely. <laughs> and so, and this is a, a huge topic for sure. And uh, I'm, I'm sure overwhelming for any, uh, any person going through it, either beginning uh, perimenopausally or um, in the middle of it. It's often something that people don't think about until it's happening to them. And, and then there's, uh, which we're very lucky these days to have so much information come out about it, but it is an overwhelming topic when you start doing your own research. Um, there's lots to, be, um, lots to be had and tried to sift through um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I'm, talk and, about. yeah. And, I'm, and I'm sure you can probably also talk about one of those things, um, talk about those things that a lot of women may not even realize is from the menopause, mm -hmm. right? We all yeah. know the traditional, oh yeah, this, oh yeah, you get moodier, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of like having your period all the time kind of thing. But there are some things I know, even when I went through it, that there were things that I didn't even realize had to do with the menopause. Yes. And in, in my own research, I was surprised to find um, again and again, how unique of an experience there are those baseline symptoms that we all kind of heard about over and over the mood changes that you mentioned, fatigue, night sweats, you know, hot flashes, um, can be anxiety, depression, just mood problems in general. Yeah. But um, what's really striking is how unique each woman's experience is. 
And on top of that, it comes at a certain age. The typical age for menopause is 51, um, but women is in their 40s can start experiencing you know, either per- perimenopause or some people go into early menopause. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's a, a unique experience as well as that is a time when a lot of other conditions start to arise, you know, that may or may not be related. So that is what makes it a trickier kind of uh, presentation, so to speak, or, Uh you know, symptoms within yourself to judge, because all all things are converging together at one time. Mm. Yeah, no, that make that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So a lot of it is, uh, you know, obviously some people call it, um, I really love this idea that menopause is just a, a phase and a, a stage of life rather than a condition or a disease to yeah. be controlled or managed. <laughs> that, that's, a, um, that's good. That's good. I mean, that's, that is one of those things that, <clears throat> because I think just very quickly, I, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of societies, a lot of men and women, use it as an excuse. Yes. Oh, it's just because I'm menopausal. Right. You know, which for a lot of women is, is a very convenient excuse. And then everybody goes, Oh, okay. She's really okay. Phase. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's great to have, be compassionate with ourselves and realize we're going through a process and, you know, definitely the frustration and stress actually has been shown in research to make it worse, make the symptoms worse. If you are already burnt out and stressed and starting that process. So we want to have self-compassion, but we also don't want to, um, kind of dismiss things that are happening and not tuning into our bodies because, one of the things, for example, that is, you know, night sweats are a typical symptom, but they can be symptoms of other conditions. Um, people with ovarian cancer or other types of cancer also have night sweats. So we definitely, um, you know, it's a rare condition, but it's it's not something where we want to start to dismiss everything as like, oh, it's just menopause because um, you might need to dig further. And um, one of the surprising things, for example, is if you're anemic or if you have a thyroid condition, that can lead to sweats. And so uh, you want to have that checked out and looked into to make sure that you're not assuming something as a menopausal symptom rather than a condition that can be treated and addressed in another way. Wow. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, So... Is there a is there a is there a difference with how some women might go through menopause if they do start a little earlier or if it actually waits until later? I mean, I started a little bit later, but that was because I was going to an acupuncturist and he mm. was giving me treatment and and um, and some uh, some kind of pills that he had, um, mm-hmm. you know, that um, that actually kept me having periods and all that kind of stuff. So it actually put off the menopause. And at a certain point I said, okay, I can't take this anymore. I want to get rid of it. So I got to, I got to start it. I got to stop it. I got to start it. Got <laughs> Not it. deal with periods anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's, I can't say in the research that there is specific correlation to when definitely there is a correlation with your, your hereditary, like how your mom went through menopause, you know, the, the definitely genetics, cultural factors play in um, our own attitudes about it. Uh, it's interesting that certain cultures, the women only experience some very minor condition, you know, uh, symptoms, excuse me. And then in others, it's, you know, especially in our Western and American culture, much more severe and in our own um, cultural treatment of it, it's makes it more complicated. And uh, the perception is much more, um, you know, oh, no, I'm losing my mind, or I'm I'm forgetting it. And it will be like that always. Um, But definitely, Matt, People who have tried to undergo, for example, hormone therapy for symptom management, the younger you are um, around your 50s, let's say, those kinds of therapies have a greater benefit if you're younger than if you start, go through the process and start hormone therapy much later, then those hormones are not as helpful in managing symptoms. So there is definitely a timing issue And you bring up a really great point in that a lot of the studies that have been done Mm -hmm. are, they're all different. Some women were on hormones early in the, in their process. Others, they started much later. So it's, it's not an apples for apples comparison when you look at the research and that's what makes it somewhat confusing and why um, an individualized approach really helps to look at that person's history and, other conditions, what's going on and, and working to even then try what therapies work. And, you know, if you are going to do hormones versus a a more um, bioidentical hormone approach or just a natural non-hormone approach, then each individual person and their, their body is going to respond uniquely. So you want to make sure to work with someone one-on-one to, to figure out what works best for you because research is not that clear for everyone across the board. Right. Right. No, which, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, none of us, none of us had, even when we, before we hit menopause, none of us had the same kind of cycles or mm-hmm. heavy or not heavy or periods and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it really yeah. is so unique. And yet, um, I don't know, the medical community, um, the society, particularly Western society, um, doesn't like to deal with oddities with with uniqueness they're mm-hmm. much much as they give it um lip service they'd much rather be able to say to give generalizations <laughs> well when you start menopause you're going to feel like this right right yes there's no there's no variety <laughs> right yeah and i think that does lead to um uh, some feelings of isolation that oh mm. you know the uh, one interesting symptom is some women end up having cold sweats rather than um, hot flashes. And so it does, it can lead to, oh, I'm the only person experiencing this because I've never heard uh, my friends talk about it or, you know, so that's one thing these days is we do have more access to information to to be able to Mm. search some of these things and see that we're not alone in experiencing unique symptoms. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Well, and it's also not, it's not taboo to talk about anymore. Yes. Either totally is out in the open Mm -hmm. you know women are much more out there about a lot of things and and i think that's that's one of them Um, enormously helpful yeah yeah Uh, hell i always was i was complaining (laughs) from the beginning to anybody who wanted to hear about it (laughs) yes 
Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to note that even within, you know, again, this is just generalizing, but about 75 to 90% of women experience symptoms that resolve within about four years, even without treatment, but in about 10 to 25% of women, the symptoms persist. And that's where, you know, we also get this idea that, you know, sometimes it's easy to focus just on the the folks who are having a really hard time, um, but not everyone is having a hard time. So it's striking that balance between, um, you know, rec- trying to see where you are on that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and there may only be like one thing that you're having a big problem mm-hmm. with. Yes. Right. And then, then they, it's like, they almost make you feel I um, can't think of what the right word is, but you know, that you shouldn't be complaining because you only have the one thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, <laughs> I have only have the one thing, but it's a big thing. <laughs> right. One of the things that is uh, still being worked out is a lot of arthritis, unfortunately starts around the same time, but there is, there are joint pains um, associated with menopausal symptoms, as well as, of course, this manifestation of osteoarthritis. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are a lot of inflammation that happens and maybe carpal tunnel in the hand. And so, yes, maybe that's just manifesting in that. Um, But I don't know about you, I'm on my computer every day. And so if I just had that one symptom, it would be very problematic for me. Yeah, (laughs) You know, we're working with my hands and and treating um, folks. So, So, yeah, it's very unique. How important I always try to ask people is how does this symptom impair your life or how how important is it to you? Because something that I uh, am just listening to may not be as evident how it's impacting their life. And so mm-hmm. each person has their own unique experience of how bothersome that symptom is. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So just not, not asking necessarily for a laundry list, but what are, what are some of the things that you've read about in your research and, and in your practice that women have either had the most issues with, or, you know, that, that seems to come up more commonly mm-hmm. than other things. I mean, other than, other than stopping your period, you know, or, or having really heavy before it stops or, I mean, there's, there's so many different varieties, right? Right. I think in, in my experience, the, um, some of the issues have been definitely the energy levels dropping, noticing, um, the memory changes, or at least the cognitive and the mood changes, uh, gaining weight has been an issue as well for some folks and definitely the aches and the pains, which again is a little harder to parse out as it menopausal symptoms or, and we can talk about how estrogen really impacts mm. cartilage and joints and, and um, yeah. So uh, th- those are the things, hot flashes for sure. In my practice, I haven't seen people with extremely severe hot flashes that have been mm. super bothersome to them, but I know other of my, some of my colleagues have, so again, it's very unique. And I work with a lot of uh, people that are starting to have thyroid issues. And so that also is a confusing picture. And, and um, I do work a lot with adrenal issues or burnout. Okay. So if you start out the process with those conditions, I often work with the adrenal system, the thyroid system to address some of these uh, menopausal uh, concerns, but again, like thyroid condition can have weight gain. So, um, and then of course, sleep issues are really, that's a huge problem for folks. 
mm-hmm. and impacts, of course, it impact your mood during the day if you don't have a great night's sleep at night. Again, not to mention your partner if you happen to be sharing a bed. Yes. <laughs> I know. I know that, uh, you know, my husband had some issues with that when I'd have hot flashes during the middle of the night, which was mm. quite often, you know. And yeah. That, that, would, that would affect him. Yes. You know, yeah. Which was fine during the wintertime, but <laughs> not during the summer. <laughs> right. Definitely don't want, don't want to have flash during a heat wave. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we do have them, like right now. Right. The, where you are. <laughs> It's just warmer, not hot, but um, a little humid. That's it's starting to to make more of an impact than I realized. But yes, yeah, yeah. no, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, it was it was very hot here yesterday, and it's still hot mm-hmm. today, but not quite as bad yet. It's like 104 or something, I think, yesterday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty intense for this area. Um, just to in thinking that also brings up to mind the the uh, skin issues, you know, people are, are noticing, speaking of the skin, you, you also, obviously with a hot flash, you sweat more, but people have noticed changes in their skin, their elasticity, mm-hmm. um, and that develops more over time, but also right. um, vaginal dryness. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And um, people also... Yeah, it's uh, that's definitely a challenge, and then it leads to to pain and mm-hmm. discomfort, and sometimes UTIs. Mm-hmm. So things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, no, and that, and I, yeah, I hadn't, even, I hadn't even remembered about that. I used to get UTIs quite often, which mm-hmm. stopped, you know, after a few years after, you know, getting to the other side mm-hmm. of menopause. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, the, the estrogen, the changing hormone levels, particularly estrogen, changes your pH in uh, the vaginal space. So, so uh-huh. then the acidic space that normally wards off more, like keeps uh-huh. your flora in check yeah. in that area becomes imbalanced and then more prone and less protective. The acidity protects against infection uh-huh. or it allows certain flora to grow or infections uh-huh. to take hold where they wouldn't have before. Oh, so interesting. I wish mm-hmm. I'd known that when I was going through menopause. <laughs> I know we all, it's a process of learning and experiencing yeah. 2020 hindsight. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. I had no idea that. I mean, I knew it had something to do with it, but I didn't know what, what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That flora, we, uh, we are very, uh, flora on our bodies is very sensitive uh-huh. to pH changes and pH levels. So um, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. That makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Does the does the heat? You know, if you're living in a warm climate or a humid climate or something like that, does that affect it with the pH as well? Or um... you know, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that question. I know that in terms of one symptom people did uh, I have complained about is when you the greater body odor, and I think that when your sweat, you sweat and that sits on your body and it interacts with the bacteria on your body, then it creates more of an odor, even though it might not be a particular infection, but uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, but that is a great question of whether different climates impact uh, your skin pH. Oh, interesting. Okay. Great topic for further research. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Especially skin. I mean, there's so many skin issues 
mm-hmm. <clears throat> particularly as you get older. Yeah. Estrogen surprisingly does maintain that elasticity of our blood vessels. Mm. And it's once that is taken away, we can see it more um, starkly in folks that have had immediately to like, they've been on aromatase inhibitors, uh, cancer drugs that immediately stop estrogen Mm -hmm. function in your body. Uh We've seen that, that, that elasticity changes. Estrogen also helps maintain the thickness of your skin, the fat content in your skin. And there are estrogen receptors throughout our whole body. So even the immune cells have, you know, estrogen receptors. And so it's, yeah, there's a whole host of effects that we, you know, as the more and more we research, the more we find, oh, it impacts that too. But definitely the skin is the one we see the most. And lastly, the, there's a, hyaluronic acid, which is Uh a little tricky to say, but that maintains the moisture of your skin. And that also decreases as well as um, postmenopausally. We throughout that process of menopause and postmenopause, we lose about 30% of our collagen in our skin. Ah, I can kind of that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that, that, that elasticity um, also becomes a challenge. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah. No, exactly, exactly, and and as as well, how well we we um, heal from mm-hmm. things, right? Because all of those things, the collagen and the hyaluronic acid, and and so many other things affect how how you know even just getting cuts or whatever on your hands, mm-hmm. um, just it just takes longer. Yes, you know, and and sometimes it doesn't, it never heals as well as it right. was before, depending on what the, what the issue is, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, and the other thing too, um, that, that just occurs to me as, as well is not to mention our, our bones, which I have my own experience with, but, um, because there is that connection <clears throat> with osteoporosis. Yes, absolutely. Right. And, um, we might also want to talk about this, I, call, I like to call it a misconception, but whatever, um, from decades ago that women should start taking calcium mm-hmm. and loading up on calcium, but they were never told to load up on the other minerals at the same time so that right. it could all be balanced and take, be taken in and used yes. by your bodies. And too much calcium is not good for you either just by itself. No, no, absolutely. Putting calcium, um, there was a great description I, um, that helps me remember. It's basically, it's like putting concrete on, on a scaffolding and it's, you know, concrete's hard and it definitely, you need to have more things within that structure to maintain kind of give and elasticity. Mm -hmm. If you just put concrete on a lattice, then the bones become brittle. They're not as uh, functional. You know, you just end up with very hard, brittle bones. Yeah. You definitely need magnesium and vitamin D and boron, like, the, like you said, a whole host of minerals that synergistically work together with the calcium. And yeah. of course, help with the, the absorption of it as well. Um, calcium needs to be acidified to be absorbed, yeah. you know, so the form of calcium matters as well. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Okay. And, and the other issue, the side 
one of the side effects as well is that your body put, will put calcium in other places where it ought not to be yes. like in your blood vessels. Absolutely. Yeah. Overloading on can- calcium can contribute to plaque formation in the cardiovascular system, which we obviously do not want and causes a whole host of other risks. Yeah. 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 But that brings up, that's one of estrogen's main, uh, one of the positive effects of having estrogen in our bodies is maintaining that uh, bone structure that really helps maintain healthy bones. Mm -hmm. And so um, having said that, there are many things you can do to, um, I wouldn't say replace, but, you know, to help with that process, Mm -hmm. support that process. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is that definitely uh, weight bearing exercises. We need weight on our bones to keep that structure kind of strong and uh, flexible. And then on as well as uh, taking phytoestrogens or eating phytoestrogens, um, which are in a lot of legumes, basically. And they are, phytoestrogens are plant Mm -hmm. uh, estrogens, I guess, mimickers of estrogen Mm -hmm. that lightly bind to our system, but they have a great effect on our bones and our cardiovascular system and our nervous system. So even though they're not as strong as um, estrogens, our natural estrogens, they do have that kind of supportive effect and help maintain our bones after menopause. And legumes are for people who don't. Beans, lentils. um, Yeah. Green beans. (laughs) Green beans. I like soy, you know, if you're a soy person, no, I like soy Soy, tempeh, which is fermented soy. Uh, They, you can, uh, Yeah, sorry, so, I'm very, I'm very demonstrative about things I like or don't like. <laughs> so traditional cultures that ingest a, an average day of, of soy has ice, um, flavonoids right. and isoflavones and, mm-hmm. and basically a, a traditional culture, normal consumption of, you know, one half a cup to a cup a day of soybeans or soy or tempeh. Basically, they have experienced fewer menopausal symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I love I love tofu. (laughs) Tempeh just doesn't. Yeah. And and beans, just straight beans, you know, Um, I, you know, and it's interesting. And we'll digress here for a minute, a minute and a half, maybe. Um, (laughs) It's, it's it's so interesting, and I'm not the only one, obviously, that has this. But we all have particular tastes that appeal to us, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's because you need that, mm-hmm. right? You'll get a taste for something that you've never eaten before, right? Um, but beans, just beans by themselves, right? Like lima beans, oh, or um, or baked beans, or any of that kind of stuff. I just I cannot stand the texture. Mm-hmm. I do not eat those. You know, you put them together in a in a, a bean spread. I'm fine. Ah, there you but, go. Yeah, you know, um, I love, like I said, I love tofu. But just having soybeans, if they're raw, that'd be okay. Those taste okay, but not cooked. And it, mm-hmm. and it is funny because everybody's got their yes, right? Their, yeah. their likes and dislikes and the things that they're like, oh no, I can't eat that. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's, 
I think in my experience, a long-term plan that people can stick with are things that they like and they enjoy and they look forward to. And sometimes that takes some investigating, but definitely foods that I never thought I would like until I started to maybe cook them myself or Uh experiment with different ways of preparing. But, um, you know, it's some things are an acquired taste and you have to be excited to try to acquire it. And some things are just no, no goes. Um, in the Romanian culture, we have a an incredible white bean spread. It's mm. basically like a pureed white bean puree with uh-huh. uh, fresh garlics. It's very so pungent. And then so some um, caramelized onions on top. Ooh. And okay. you eat it as a spread with bread. And it's it's incredible. So I can uh, do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am not not so much of the plain white bean kind of eater, but when you put that in front of me, it's really hard to resist. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, what about are some things like um like peanuts? Because they always remind me of beans. I mean, I love them. I love peanuts. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But um, but- peanuts are legume. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, okay. I wasn't yeah. sure. The thing with with nuts in general, they're uh-huh. typically uh, a moderate amount or a good amount or a good may have a good place in a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. The challenge with them is that uh, the raw form mm-hmm. of the nuts have the healthy uh, mono unsaturated oh, okay. fats and oils in them. Basically, once you roast the nuts, which we all love the flavor of, okay. it damages those oils. And so right. then your body and your liver particularly has to detoxify those oils. And so you've lost Mm. some of that health benefit. So they do bring some fiber with them, but eating them raw is basically the the best way or, you know, slicing them, putting them on a salad, but that is Uh the um, ideal way to Uh eat them rather than roasted. I can't think of having raw, I've had raw almonds, raw pecans, but I can't think of having raw peanuts if I, if that's a, Um, yeah, they're, they're not, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. The roasted obviously tastes better, um, but sometimes it's almost be- it's it's also because of the salt, which is also not very good for you. Yes, but they usually come salted. The, the roasted, salted. Mm-hmm. Oh, so delicious! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ha- I definitely have to enjoy some once in a while, <laughs> yeah, just to make sure, right? Yes, exactly. Sure. Nowadays, uh, people are really getting, uh, doing a great job of sprouting and mm. making nut butters uh, sprouted of, of raw. And that also brings out uh, some of the enzymes and the nutrients, makes them more available. And also, I think, in, for me personally, enhances the flavor of a, a raw nut butter. Mm-hmm. But it's so now we have more options, I think, at the, at the grocery store of ways we can mm. ingest these. Uh, I'll have to look for that. I don't think I've ever had the, that. Sprouted, mm. sprouted nut butters. Okay. Yeah. One more thing to look for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't have enough that I buy at the, at the supermarket. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Variety is always good. Always yes. Good. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How about things like dairy? And, um, you know, I personally, I like, I like yogurt. Um, mm-hmm. I, eat, I eat goat yogurt mostly because I can't do cow stuff. Um, but a lot of people do eat cow dairy mm-hmm. and and like that um how how is it for doing dairy products as you're going through menopause or even otherwise you know for women 
You know, the in moderation, I would say it again, focusing on organic uh, dairy or I was going to say organic soy as well, uh, making sure that it doesn't come with extra hormones or pesticides um, in it. But yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, fermented foods in general are healthy as we age, mm. uh, especially to maintain that flora in our digestive tract, but then it also impacts your vaginal flora, surprisingly dietary uh-huh. um, yogurt and uh-huh. fermented food. So if you can do dairy, I, I would say, unless you're loading on it three times a day, it's mm. a good quality yogurt or um, a uh-huh. small amount of even full fat cheese that you're enjoying. It should not be a problem. Just, uh, it does contribute to mucus production, which in small amounts is protective to our bodies. One of the things that people start to complain about um, is snoring um, during this period and, and maybe the start of some, you know, new, new kinds of snoring uh, symptoms that they didn't have before. Uh-huh. Definitely eating a lot of dairy with creating that extra mucus can contribute to that symptoms. So if you're having issues with that, that's something you might want to look at. I've never heard that before. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, hmm. I have to remember that. I like, I like eating cheese and I like having my yogurt. I mean, I don't, I don't need like, you know, a couple, couple of teaspoons of of yogurt Mm -hmm. in my cereal, but, um, but the, the goat cheese as well. Yes. In, um, in Romanian culture, when you eat a soup, you often put a scoop of sour cream on top, kind of as a condiment. So uh-huh. um, using, I think one of the suggestions of using these things as condiments are, are really at least helpful for me. It's, it's, it's not don't enjoy, but it's enjoy in moderation. And the condiment uh-huh. helps remind me like, okay, you know, a whole pint of it is not where I'm going with this. It's more uh-huh. a few spoonfuls or, yeah. you know, a, a thumb's worth of. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, make a couple of, couple slices Mm -hmm. of cheese with some crackers. Yeah. That's lovely snack. I also love, um, I, uh, apples and a little bit of cheese. Ah, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that's, that, that brings up a good, a good, um, subject too, which is that, um, my husband and I have gotten into, instead of having regular desserts, Mm-hmm. We have fruit, you know, which of mm-hmm. course in Europe is very, it's very common. Yes, but has never been totally common here in here in the states. And um, we found that's that's just great. We don't even have to eat a whole piece of fruit. It'll take us two or three days to go through an apple mm-hmm. or an orange, you know. But just that little bit of sweetness, yes, takes care of that yearning for the dessert. <coughs> yes. And in, in Ayurvedic medicine, they consider that, and I'm sure other cultures beyond that, a little bit of sweet to help with the overall digestion of the meal. And so there's always a small something in the meal that adds that. But um, going back to the skin changes is that uh, things like the bioflavonoids mm. and the um, vitamin C content helps maintain that collagen and that skin integrity Mm. and even the blood vessel integrity Mm. and uh, half a cup of berries at the end of a meal as a dessert is a really nice and easy way, especially during the summer when they're in Uh season to help with that. Yeah. Oh no, that, that sounds good. Absolutely. Yeah. We love, we love our blueberries. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So uh, 
we're kind of starting to run out of time here. Um, the only other thing I wanted to to kind of touch on, and you mm -hmm. and I kind of talked about this beforehand, is is what what's kind of the carry on, right? I mean, it's it's not like oh, you go through menopause and then you die or something. That's not right. Then you kind of move on to whatever the next stage is, and some of the things continue, some mm -hmm. change, yes, and you may get some new ones, right? Yes, yeah. So definitely the. the the overall, like we're talking about the skin issues, the dryness of the bodies, the mood, yeah, <laughs> the, the mood, hopefully the mood symptoms will go away. The insomnia will resolve, but you know, sometimes it does continue on. One of the things that we definitely want to postmenopausal look to support is the cardiovascular system mm -hmm. and the osteoporosis. So those are the two major ones where those um, any kind of concerns or risk factors that start in menopause, we want to continue to support a healthy diet and lifestyle and uh, healthcare regimen for. And the other thing is uh, diabetes risk and making sure your blood sugar uh, also contributes your well-managed blood sugar will continue to support longevity. Uh -huh. So those are the three areas I would say that we're concerned on uh -huh. forming a good health, healthy mm -hmm. healthcare plan going forward for those three top concerns, as well as cognitive. Of course, everybody wants to stay sharp as they age. <laughs> and so hopefully after that menopausal period, um, the memory will come back, but there are definitely things, um, diet, lifestyle, and herbal things that you can do to support that going yeah. forward. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. um, I just brought up something in my brain and now I can't remember what it was. Um, apropos of that, the, um, oh, I know. Um, how much is something like, I mean, I know heart and cardiovascular things can be hereditary, mm -hmm. right? There are certain things that'll be in families or, or whatever. Um, and sometimes not. But um, what about some of the other things like osteoporosis or, you know, some of these other ones that are, can those also be um, hereditary or maybe you're predisposed to it a little bit because of something that you've gotten, you know, from your mother or your father? Or Definitely. There is a, an association or a, there are risk factors that you inherit from your family with osteoporosis. And uh, there are also, you know, the, your history of hormone use, or, you know, if you've gone into early menopause or you, for some reason have had uh, your estrogen is decreased much earlier in life. You've had less of an opportunity for the estrogen to reinforce that bone structure over time. So there are some personal factors, but definitely hereditary is something to look at in your personal family history does predispose you to more osteoporosis uh -huh. at risk. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. So just as an, as an aside, cause we are getting late here. Um, something that I know there's been a lot of change over the last 34 years, as far as um, with hysterectomies mm -hmm. with women for various reasons. Um, and I know that, that to a certain degree, they try and take out as little as possible mm -hmm. these days. Instead of just saying, oh, great, we'll just take it all. Mm -hmm. um, so is, is that something that is a little more widespread with, with um, doctors being a little more cognizant of that connection between maybe trying to leave, I don't know, you know, some, some pieces 
in in there if if they if they're not really affected. Yeah, I definitely see more and more there are gynecologists that are more aware of that, and so when they are considering these procedures, uh, they they are trying to. I can't really speak to the wider culture, but the the folks I've interacted with are much more cognizant of the how important all of these structures are. And interestingly, even removing their uterus without and just leaving the ovaries, hormone levels drop or the symptoms in menopause are greater regardless. So I think as more and more research comes out, it will um, just permeate throughout the medical community and and the procedures will hopefully get less invasive. But I, I can't speak to the wider broad how, yeah. how far that's been. But in my personal experience, the gynecologists mm-hmm. I've worked with have definitely have uh-huh. become less invasive over time and more. Um, there's just more uh, wanting to preserve mm. the structures as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just I'm just aware of that because my mother had a full hysterectomy mm-hmm. when I was born. Ah. And very common, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she had very heavy periods and, you know, lots of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she did. She developed a horrid case of osteoporosis oh. for many, many years, you know, and really just went, you know, her, her top part just went down mm. and cracks and, and you know, hor- horrible things. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, and, you know, so I'm just very aware of it. But also realizing that, you know, that it's not genetic for me because they did it for a whole different reason, right? Yes. And that brings up a thought that actually I do work with women that have PCOS and endometriosis. And in that case, mm-hmm. you know, there there's a lot of uh, uterine or uterine fibroids and there are a lot of strategies around trying to preserve, you know, mm-hmm. in that way, I would say gynecologists are trying everything else yeah. uh, that I've worked with everything else to preserve yeah. those structures without having to remove them, even though they're causing problems. So that is becoming like a last resort thing. So hopefully that will continue on a broader and scale. Don't, don't fibroids in a lot of people, a lot of women get less, you know, they kind of shrink and stuff when they do hit menopause. Cause that's what I had. You know. In some women, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And some definitely there, there are, if they are responding to that estrogen, which they typically mm-hmm. are that estrogen stimulation and the estrogen drops, they will become smaller because they don't have that stimulation right. to grow anymore. Yeah. 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 So some yeah. women find relief. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 No, that, uh, that, that was a good thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Anyways, is there, you know, is there anything else you want to just say or to to wrap up or? Yeah, I will say just to wrap up, you know, Uh thinking of menopause as a a natural process Mm -hmm. and one that you can, um, I'll I'll say that Christiane Northrup has a great way of saying it's an opportunity for to prioritize your life and to the hot flashes help you burn off everything that's not important in your life. So kind of seeing it as a really a transition point and a, a reorienting of your life, maybe or of priorities rather than a disease process. And that there's a lot to do to support that process. And, um, you know, the healthier you can be being a good weight, maintaining your exercise, you know, and in terms of weight, you know, having people who are not, who are, um, 
a healthy weight have an easier time going through that transition. But seeing it as an overall transition that needs to be kept in balance, I think, reframes it and helps us go through it much easier and and seek solutions rather than um, just assume it there's uh, nothing to be done or yeah. <laughs> or that it, and it, it will you know we will come out the other side and have uh, <laughs> have life. an opportunity to be healthy <laughs> yeah well I was gonna say life is kind of like that if you wait long enough typically it'll go away and you get on to some <laughs> other period of <laughs> yes that you can worry about yes but yeah. having also, you know, if if the symptoms are really bothersome or it's always good to get checked out. You know, I, I know that I'm biased as a doctor, but yeah. working with someone and making sure that the symptoms that come up are not symptoms of other conditions mm. is also important to make sure that you stay healthy and are not uh, missing a thyroid case or a thyroid condition or other issues and um, working on your stress levels and your your lifestyle Mm. can really make a huge difference, but um, it's, it's a whole multifactorial kind of uh, process. It's not, and very unique to each person, but I think uh, there's plenty of opportunity to reorient ourselves into a much healthier state by the end of it. I, I would, I would totally agree. And, and the only thing I would add to that is that it probably what you just said is probably good advice no matter what age you are. Yes. Because it really applies whether you're 19 years old or although I'm sure there's no 19 year olds listening, but you never know. But, you know, any age until until you're not here anymore. I mean, life is a continual process of changing. Yes. Um, And embracing that, I think, is is so um, important. Yes. To to living a, a good life. Yes. And actually just uh, it makes me think of a Harvard study where they, they looked at people's attitude towards aging and they found that the, the more your attitude and expectations around it, the more positive they were, the greater the longevity. So um, definitely just, you know, obviously yeah. it's not always easy to be positive in every stage of change, but our expectations can impact how we experience something that that goes for everything that goes for for absolutely everything for a new job for an old job for a new romance i mean for absolutely everything in your life you know yeah um for sure so on that positive note <laughs> we will uh we will wrap this up and i will say that um um this is not to be seen as medical advice even though chris is a naturopathic doctor um but if you're having any kind of issues, please remember to go and go to your doctor or find a new doctor and get yourself looked at. And other than that, um, I will be back next week and Chris will be back in another couple of weeks. And we're at that point, we are going to talk about the male version yes. of menopause, better known and- as andropause. 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 So, uh, which I think people probably don't know as much about as we all know about the menopause. Yes. Yeah, that's that's going to be very interesting. I'm looking forward to that one in particular. Well, thank you very much for having me. I look forward to it as well. Love having you here. Thank you. 
This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit HealthyTipsAfter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.